Tonight's message is called Lazarus, the one who God helps. As I was reading the story about the, the rich man and Lazarus, this is a parable, and I literally was stayed focused on Lazarus. You know, I want to bring out some life applications that are obvious, but also bring some out that are not as quite as obvious, but really stood out to me. You know, this is one of, this is the only parable that Jesus actually named someone. And it could be because he had a friend named Lazarus or there was somebody in this condition named Lazarus, or maybe it was a point for them to ponder down the road as Jesus would do one of his most miraculous miracles. Now I want to just let you know, as we're looking at this story, it's not necessarily a, a, a literal rigid story where you have to look at and, and it's, a biblical fact, so to speak, as far as uh, the context in which Jesus is just using to convey truth. Here's an example. Like, for instance, when the man is when when Lazarus is in heaven and the rich man is in Hades, they cannot see uh, see each other. But this is a parable in which Jesus is telling a truth. So I don't want you to take it as a literal uh, story with with. Uh, sorry, I'm not feeling the best. My mind's all over the place. Uh, It's not exactly the story that you would look at and get doctrinal issues. Let me just say it that way. Now, I want to start from the launching pad of this particular verse. It's in Luke chapter 16, verses 14 through 15. It says, now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, were listening to all these things and were scoffing at him. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men. But God knows your hearts, for that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. So this propelled Jesus to tell this story, which will bring us to our first point. I want to look at the contrast of two people. And we're going to go verse by verse through this. In Luke 16, verse 19, it says, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day. Now, this is a self-indulgent rich man who literally went out of his way to show off his riches. He was considered highly esteemed among men. His purple robes were literally the Louis Vuitton or the Gucci of that day. His, his linen was, was, was used as in the Greek, it was busos is the word, and it's literally Egyptian cotton, linen underwear, which was the richest of the rich wore this, and he wore this every single day. The Bible says he sumptuously feasted, means it, it was like an expensive dining type atmosphere. He ate like a king every single day. The, the stuff that he robed, wore was status symbols. It's in other words, he was showing off his riches. So he ate like a king every day. And this means that he would have servants that would have to cook his food every single day, which implies that he never gave his servants off, which means the law of God was not even on his radar. Remember, these these Pharisees were a picture. This rich man was a picture of what the Pharisees were were in, in society. They built their kingdoms on the backs of the, of the people. They were considered righteous. In other words, in their mind, they thought they were the cream of the crop. They thought that they were the elite society that looked down on others. Here's some life application. I'm going to give you quite a bit of life application points because I think this will speak to you. 
You know, God has blessed us abundantly compared to much of the known world. Are we grateful? What do we do with what God has blessed us with? You know, it's great to have nice things, but as it is often said, we have to make sure that those things do not have us. What about the spiritual application? Do we trust in our own righteousness? Remember, the Pharisees trusted in their own selves. They, it's, in other words, it translates today as the I'm a good person belief system. Do you just believe that I'm a good person? Remember, this man lived a self-indulgent, self-driving, self-absorbed, self-righteous, arrogant lifestyle. He didn't even bat an eye to try to help his fellow neighbor. Anyone looking at this story would have seen that this man was blessed by God. In other words, they would have saw it as God giving the grace because they looked at wealth as the riches of God. Let's look at Lazarus. Luke 16, 20 through 21. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with that which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. Now, Lazarus's name means the one who God helps. Now, we're not told in the story why Lazarus suffers. We don't know how he became ill. Jesus doesn't tell, to, tell us. All we know that he was crippled. We're reminded that life is not fair when we look at the story of Lazarus. Lazarus is a picture of those that were outside of the riches of God's kingdom. He would have been seen as cursed by God simply because they judged you based on life circumstances. We were spiritually poor and lame outside of the riches of God. I like what it says in Luke 16, 20 in this verse. It says, and at his gate, there was carelessly dropped down and left a certain utterly destitute man named Lazarus. In other words, people literally came and laid him at the gate according to Jesus' story. This is a textbook case of what it looks like when God is not helping you, right? But let's look a little deeper. People brought him there according to the story. In other words, they brought him to the best possible place where he can get what he needed. I guess you could say at least they did something, right? The Bible says that he desired to eat what fell from the rich man's table. That word desire is the same word that's used when the prodigal son is desiring to eat the pods uh, in the pig pen, which means his stomach would not even been able to digest it. It's to show us the picture of this man would have never got a seat at this man's table to eat the scraps. Remember the, even the woman in the story that said even the dogs get the scraps from the master's table. Meanwhile, there's a constant supply of what he needs inside this house. In the natural, do you ever feel like you're so close and, and you feel like you're an outcast and what you need is unattainable in the natural? Well, spiritually, we were outcasts, but what we need is not outside of the reach of Christ. Amen? Spiritually, the Pharisees had the law of God. They ended up turning a blind eye to the needs of the people. In other words, they thought that their position elevated them above everyone else. So here's the question. What is our attitude to, towards those that are at our gate, within our circle of influence? Let's look at the dogs. The dogs were here and would lick his sores. I like the way it says it 
in this translation in Luke 16, 21, his best friends were the dogs who came and licked his sores. This translation, I think, hits it on the head. You know, translation sometimes can be tricky. But I, I wanted to bring it out here because I really feel like this shows us something. You know, when you look at it says moreover or but or even. In other words, when you look at this verse in the original Greek, when we look at it, it looks like a continual statement tying in like a conjunction, two words or two sentences, two phrases. But in the Greek, it's the word Allah, A-L-L-A. And scholars say that it's best used when it's contrasting two specific situations. In other words, it's to show the pity of the wild dogs is contrasted to the indifference of the rich man. Let me say it this way. It's a touching act of brute pity in the absence of human relief. In other words, when we read it, it looks like it's just saying, and it made it even worse, like it added another level of torment. But really, when you read it in the original Greek, these dogs came and comforted Lazarus. You know, when you have a dog and a dog licks you, that's it's his way of showing you affection. You know, when you look at this story, you know, I, I did some some research on this and it was kind of interesting because the Phoenicians had a a healing ministry, I guess you could say. It was very pagan and they would charge people to use their dogs to come and lick the sores. And I, as I was reading this, there's an area in Ashkelon in 1994, a professor at Harvard discovered 1,300 dog graves in the third centuries that the Phoenicians inhabited. The dogs had a specific, they call it a peptide antibody, and it would literally heal people. Now, I know that's probably not the same thing now, but when you think of dogs and they lick their own wounds, there, you ever heard the story, the story, the, uh, the saying, that, you know, I had to lick my own wounds. When you look at this, look at Deuteronomy 23, 18. You shall not bring the fee of a prostitute or the wages of a dog into the house of the Lord your God for payment of a vow. Both of these are an abomination to the Lord God. I said all that to say, maybe these dogs were not there to inflict another level of torment, but to possibly bring comfort. Remember, God had ravens to feed Elijah. Remember that God used a donkey to give a message. The point is, if you look at the story of Lazarus, people were there to help him, regardless if he didn't get his need met. People stepped outside of their box for whatever reason to lay him at the gate, as well as you can look at this situation as comfort in the midst of suffering. You know, I was looking at something on Mr. Rogers, and he, he learned this from his mother's knee. He was asked how to help in the midst of suffering. He said, people seek comforts, even small ones, in the face of horror. When I was a boy, I would see scary things on the news, and my mother would say to me, Fred, look for the helpers. You will always find people who are helping. I look at these small aspects of comfort. And, you know, when we're going through a situation, sometimes the smallest comforts don't even register on our radar, right? We're just dealing with sickness or we're dealing with the loss of a job. And then say someone takes us to lunch and we don't even register that it's God's grace or God's kindness being delivered to us through a human being. What's the life application in our suffering, in our own suffering, appreciate 
the little helps. Enjoy the small comforts. And let me drive it even further. Be that small comfort in somebody's life. You know, in the process of, of starvation that Lazarus was going through, that's what Jesus chose to use as the context. But think about this. In the time of somebody, I, I can use my dad for an example. When he was in the chemo chair, he would go there and his mission would be, I'm going to reach out to people that are there. You know, unless you have cancer, you're not going to be in the chemo ward, right? You're not just going to go volunteer generally. But he would be there and his mission was to bring the light of Jesus Christ to each person, but as well as receive from other people as well. And, you know, it takes sometimes the extra, it takes the extra oomph, right, when you're not feeling good to step outside of your box and be that, that strength for someone. You know, a small perspective change can chip away at the enormity of somebody's trouble. You know, we want the ultimate deliverance from our situation, but many times we miss the manna that falls every single day in God's way of touching and meeting our need. Now, getting back to Lazarus, I think you can look at Lazarus as a gentle soul. I mean, if you look at the contrast, even in Job 3, Job complained, Job grunted, Job had fits, I guess you could say. But Lazarus is quiet. The rich man is clothed in the finest clothes as a king surrounded by the best. Lazarus is clothed in sores and surrounded by dogs. But this is the life application I want to leave here. Once again, for people that laid him at the gate, at least they did something. You know, I think about, I often use this app, it's called Waze. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's kind of like an, uh, you, when you're trying to get somewhere, like a Google Maps. And when you're driving and you're on the road and you're trying to hurry up somewhere to go somewhere, and you see somebody broken down on the side of the road, sometimes you could stop and sometimes you might not have the time to stop or whatever, but Waze, you can let Ways know the, the society of ways or the, the, uh, the group of people that are on ways. You can let them know that somebody is broken down on the side of the road. It's the smallest act of kindness. But how do you know? How, how many of you know if you were broken down on the side of the road, you would like somebody to let them know that you are broken down? It goes back to, like we say in next steps, find a need and fill it, see a hurt and feel it. Number two, the next point I want to bring out is the reality of an afterlife. In Luke 16, 24, 22, I'm sorry, the man died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's side. Lazarus does not have a funeral, but the angels carry him into the presence of God. Lazarus is at the ultimate banquet table. To the Jewish mind, Abraham's bosom was paradise because he was considered the father of the Jewish faith. Remember, Jesus is telling this to a Jewish audience. Look at what it says in Luke 16, 22 and 23. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off at Lazar and Lazarus at his side. Now we see the tables have turned. The rich man was, would have been given a funeral because he was rich. It would have been probably an, an, an elaborate presentation. But think of the shock. You see, this tells us that people end up in hell unintentionally, right? 
We could still talk about hell in church, right? Lazarus is quiet and comforted in the presence of God, according to the story. They knew each other. They knew where they were. And the scene is shocking as Lazarus is reclining in luxury. I want you to note, everyone dies, rich or poor, fancy burial, the greatest star on earth, the unheard of. We all have an appointment with death unless the Lord returns. And there are only two options, heaven or hell. Our, 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 our famous, whoever we are, carries no weight in the afterlife. This is the life application. And this is the most important life application, that we need to make it right with God on this side of the grave. And if we have made it right with God, if we are believing in Christ and, and following after him, we need to speak it to other people. Live it and speak it. And I mean live it first, then speak it. Luke 16, 24. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish in this flame. Now notice the rich man doesn't speak to Lazarus, but speaks directly to Abraham in the story. And he plays the Father Abraham card, which means, look at what he, he I want you to note what the rich man knew. He desired mercy. Mercy is only on this side of the grave. He felt torment. He had his senses. He could see. He felt thirsty. He knew about his religion because he acknowledges Abraham as Father Abraham. We'll see that he knows his five brothers are still living for themselves on this earth. And he feels agony in the flames. The Pharisees always used this card and Jesus knew this. Because they would always claim to be that we were children of Abraham. The rich man doesn't even think about apologizing to Lazarus. I want you to note that. All the rich man does is bark out orders even from where he is. Now, how would you respond if you're Lazarus? <laughs> Lazarus could have said, oh, really? I sat at your gate every single day and you never acknowledged my need. I begged and begged for the slightest piece of food and you didn't even try to help me. He could have said, Abraham, can we close this up? Boy, bye. But he chose not to do that. He's quiet, right? He is allowing Abraham to fight his battle. I think that's very telling. You know, as I was reading this, I, I, the Lord just spoke to me about love. And, and I'll share this with you. Maybe you, you, you could take it for what it's worth. But this really spoke to me. 1 Corinthians 13, 14, 13, 4 through 7. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. You normally hear this read at a, at a wedding. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that. <laughs> But this is what, you know, when, when you don't hear Lazarus saying anything, Jesus doesn't input what he says. But I think of, it, it really convicted me. You know, sometimes when we want to defend ourselves, right, sometimes silence is best and it's left for interpretation of what's not said. You know how I learned that? I learned that from my wife. <laughs> she is very quiet. And it's up to me to pick and choose what I think she means. 
but this is, this is how it was unveiled to me. Sometimes it's just best to not say anything because if you're quiet, you cannot boast verbally. Rudeness is muted. Insisting on your own way is not heard. The other person cannot receive resentful words that are not spoken. You know, love is an action and sometimes the action needs to be silence. And I'm not saying Lazarus felt that way. I'm just saying that's what I, that's what the Lord was saying. You know what, Kelly? You don't see anything about Lazarus and you're just left up to your own interpretation. And in my mind, I started thinking, well, I could do that with Shannon. If I, if I feel I could just stay silent and she, and it just looks like love. <laughs> but listen, in the story, it's inferred that Lazarus is actually showing patience, suffering. He's not complaining in the story. When we see him in heaven, there's no resentment. There's no rejoicing in wrongdoing. We don't see any of those things. I'm not saying that Lazarus had love towards the man, but what I'm saying, silence is very telling. Here's the life application. Sometimes in, in life, silence is the best interpretation. And the church said, amen. <laughs> we can expect God to fight our battles, right? Also, we see that hell is a real place. Jesus constantly warned the Pharisees about the dangers of the fires of hell. The rich man relied on his religious right as a child of Abraham. But John the Baptist addresses this in Luke 3, 8. He says, therefore, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that these are the st from these stones, God is able to raise up children of Abraham. John the Baptist is telling us that our faith that we profess is our justification, right? We always talk about this. But the fruits of that is they live a life of repentance. You bear fruits of repentance. Luke 16, 25. But Abraham said, child, remember that during your life you received your good things. And likewise, Lazarus, bad things. But now he's being comforted and you are in agony. He's saying, you receive good things. Lazarus received bad things. Lazarus is being comforted. You are in agony. Spiritually, the Jewish people had gotten what they needed from God. They were the first ones to receive the truth. And then his wealth was reflected in their minds of God's blessing. This, is, this would have been a known fact to a Jewish audience. But Lazarus being there doesn't say that he's eating. He says it's being comforted. See, every day he would be outside of this gate and he's accepted there while he was rejected here. In fact, Jesus says, uses the word comforted, which tells me that that probably was an issue for Lazarus as well, as well as the starvation, the constant rejection and stepping over him. Could you imagine that? The life of a beggar. Here's the life application. No matter where you feel you fit into this society, the hurt and rejection that you feel on the inside of you will not even be a thought in heaven. You see, we live in a society of separation by race, by politics, in every other division that is out there. But in Christ, we are known as one in Christ. Also, don't envy the wealth of the wicked. The Bible says not to envy. This parable is speaking of this rich man. He had a corrupting influence of wealth. 
And Jesus was inferring that this man's wealth had corrupted him and money was his master. Luke 16, 26. And besides all this, between us and you, there's a great chasm fixed so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able to and that none may cross over from there to us. Now, who would want to go from heaven to hell? Luke 16, 27 and 28. And he said, then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, and in order that he may warn them, so that they will also not come to this place of torment. Now, the rich man is the beggar. And Lazarus, if he cannot be used as a personal waiter, he is going to be try to be used as an errand boy. But remember, still no repentance from the rich man towards Lazarus. No sorrow in the way that he lived, even towards Abraham. The rich man has five brothers, and he knows that they are living apparently the same type of lifestyle, and he's acknowledging their cluelessness, which brings me to, me to my last point. Now is the time to decide and evangelize. We are not promised tomorrow. I see far too many people that I know through friends or whatever, that instantly just die. I wake up one morning and they're gone. And we are not promised tomorrow. The devil wants to tell you, you have plenty of time. Sow your wild oats. I'm telling you, we are not promised tomorrow. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. So the fact of the matter is, if this man lives so high on the hog every day, obviously he didn't go to the Sabbath. He didn't go to put Torah readings and in the synagogue. And remember, the Bible says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and body and love your neighbor as yourself. And this man loved himself more than God and he despised his neighbor. That's all that we know about this situation. Now we can put ourselves here. They have Moses and the prophets and you. Are you reaching out to your loved ones? Are you reaching out to your friends? Are you living a life like the rich man that makes that belief system or Christianity repulsive? Or are you living in such a way that makes people want to receive the gospel? See, the reality is people are going to heaven and hell every day, and we are fueling. We're fueling for either, either destination. Luke 16, 30. But he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to him from the dead, they will repent. Look at human reasoning, even from beyond the grave. He's saying that isn't good enough. This rich man is not used to being told no. This rich man is trying to correct Abraham. And he's saying, Abraham, this is not true what you're saying. The rich man is, is demanding services and he's debating the father of his faith. And the fact of the matter is, this rich man is looking at Lazarus, and he is not repenting. Luke 16, 31. But he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. Now, we know later on, someone did rise from the dead named Lazarus. And what happened there? They tried to kill him. That tells us that historical proof does not equal salvation. People say, well, if I would just, if I could just see, I would believe. Listen, 
you could go to Israel and they should have some type of uh, funding where atheists could go to Israel and see all of the things that are right in front of their face that proves God beyond a shadow of a doubt. We have prophecy that is that is literally leaping off the page literally every single day and people are still not believing. Listen, it takes faith to believe, right? This is the spiritual truth that I want to end with and we're closing here. Lazarus is like us. If you are born again, God has helped you. God has helped you. Jesus has come for the spiritually lame, right? Which was us. Every Gentile was considered spiritually lame. He has come for our righteousness sake. We are, we are not righteous outside. We are beggars outside of the kingdom of God, but we have been grafted in. And that should be the greatest news that every single day we wake up knowing. You might be suffering here tonight with sickness in your own body or whatever it is that you may be going through. Can I encourage you to enlarge your perspective? Look for the small good, even if it's hard to see right now. Be that small good for someone. You know, when we think about somebody's going through something and we shoot them a text or somebody shoots you a text, don't just take it as, oh, they're just saying that because they need to be said. What if this person literally stopped what they were doing and mentioned your name before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Can you believe the best? Can you believe that somebody's not just texting you and saying, man, this person is literally taking the time to bring my need before God? Make a decision to be the small good in someone's life. You know, I think we can get so bogged down in the enormity of what we think making a difference is. And we think because this is such a small thing, and if I don't have time to do this small thing, then I, then it's too big. Listen, sometimes all it takes is the smallest things in people's lives. You know, when you're dealing with depression and a phone call can literally pull that person out of the depression because they know that you're, you care about them. When you're dealing with sickness and someone calls you and say, hey, I didn't see you in church. I just want to let you know I'm praying for you. That means the world to people. I want you to know that. As far as evangelism is concerned. You know, I know we don't hear about heaven and hell a whole lot. I get that. But when you're evangelizing, Jesus is not just coming to make your life better. He is saving you. From eternal damnation. We need to know that. We need to know that in our evangelism. We need to know that when we interact with people. That we are not promised. How many times have you talked to someone. And you, you probably would can vouch for this. And the next day they were gone. Or the next month when you heard they were gone. That could have been the opportunity. Of a lifetime for that person. You know what I believe? That God softens people's heart. You, sometimes. On a deathbed, when you, they're all ears. All ears. And all it takes is time to say, you know what? I don't know where you are with God, but now's the time to come to Him and make it right. Now's the time to receive Him. It's, it's, it's never too late while you're on this side of the grave. Amen? I wanna, we, we need to keep that in our mind. When we're evangelizing, that's what will put the fuel in our, in our, in our evangelism. And remember, the rich man 
trusted in himself. The rich man lived his life of his righteousness and it forfeited his ability for life in the next. I want you to be encouraged. Keep one eye on this side of the grave and one side on the next. You know, for Lazarus, we really do see that he was the one who God helped. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Father, we just come in the name of your son, Jesus. And Lord, I just lift up these that are here. And you might be here. You might have never received Christ. I'm just going to give you an opportunity. Dear Heavenly Father, listen, if you have not prayed this prayer, I just want you to pray it. We could pray it as a church. You don't have to raise your hand. I just want you to pray it in your own heart of hearts and receive Christ tonight. If you were to walk out of this door and you were to die, where would you go? Father, we just come in the name of your son, Jesus. Lord, and I lift up this person. I join my faith together with these that are praying to receive you. And Father, we confess, come on, if you, if you need to confess, I confess my sin before Christ. And I ask you to cleanse and wash. I put all of my faith, all of my trust in your abilities to save, in what you've accomplished for me at Calvary. And Lord, I thank you right now that the blood of Jesus washes and cleanses me of all unrighteousness. I believe that Jesus rose again from the grave on the third day and I am saved I am a child of God and for the rest of you that are here I just want to pray a blessing over you Father we come in the name of your son Jesus and Lord I lift up each person that is struggling in their faith tonight Lord if they are going and if, and if everything is great Lord I thank you right now for what the work that you're accomplishing in the good and in the bad and Father we just thank you that you are our Lord that you are our master. And Father, we know that you are taking care of every situation. God, we thank you for this word. Lord, we ask that you would keep evangelism as a fire in our being to reach out to those that are around us. And Father, we thank you that we are redeemed, that we are the children of the Most High God. And Father, we run to the darkness with the light of the gospel. Lord, we thank you for your grace in your mercy. In Jesus' name, I pray and ask. And the church said, amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, listen, if you need prayer for anything, we'll be up here. If not, God bless you and good night.